Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. Today we want to take our teaching from the book of Isaiah, the 34th chapter, the 16th verse. Isaiah, the 34th chapter, the 16th verse. Bible says, Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. No one of these shall fail. None shall want harm it. For my mouth it has commanded and his spirit it hath gathered them. The 17th verse says, And he has cast the lot for them and his hand hath divided it unto them by line. They shall possess it forever from generation to generation. Shall they well therein. Let me give us a picture. Let me give us a sort of preamble. Let me share with you the background of Isaiah 34. Of course, a lot had happened with Israel and the enemies against Israel, the children of God, had gone through too much testation, too much trial, too much attack and death from the enemies. And we all read in the Bible when we talk about the Edomites or the men of Edomea, uh, we're talking about the sons of Esau. They were sworn enemies against the children of Israel. And we know where this story begins from. It begins from a man which takes the birthright of the older son. And he was ordained by God. But I might not be able to go there now because of how much I need to share in this segment. And so we know when we talk about Edomites, we're talking about the enemies of Israel. And so God pronounces judgment. On them, and then speaks of the things that shall befall them. But in a nutshell, that because they had set themselves against Zion, God had judged these individuals, the Edomites, and that wild beasts and animals and all manner of things were to dwell in the land of Edomia, were to dwell with the Edomites, was to dwell with them for a sort of judgment for the attacks that they had hard against the children of Israel. So this is a, a portion of scripture that so much is showing the destiny of the enemies of Israel. So God casts them and says, beasts will live in your land. You know, it will be a dry place. It shall be a cast because of the attack that you have toward my children. But then to specifically, in God's uh, defining these beasts and what would happen in Idumea, he emphasizes and he says, he speaks of the 13th verse, for example, he says, The stone shall come up in her palaces, nettles and brambles in the fortresses thereof, and it shall be an habitation of dragons and a court for owls, and the wild beasts of the desert shall all meet with the wild beasts of the island, and the satyr shall cry uh, to his fellow, the screech all also shall rest there and find for herself a place of rest in, in that place. You know, all kinds of beasts where men are supposed to dwell, the beasts were there. Now, you see, when he gets into the 15th verse, and there shall the great old make her nest and lay and hatch and gather under the shadow, there shall the vultures also be gathered and everyone with her met. Now, that's where he comes from and he says, And seek ye out of the book and read, No one of these shall fail and none shall want her met. Who shall, shall not want her met? 
the beasts that shall settle in the space of judgment. Follow me. He's saying, for example, he has judged. And he says, in the place where men should dwell, beasts shall dwell. Okay, granted. But, he's saying, moreover, when I send beasts, I'll not send a male beast without a met, a female for it. In other words, I'm not just sending beasts in the midst of you. I'm going to make sure that they copulate and multiply. Okay? Or he's saying, I'm not going to send a female beast without its male counterpart. But in this instance, when you read uh, from the Hebrew translation, the word there, nanshalaka met, it's more of a feminist interpretation of this mystery. And what is the mystery here? The mystery of the duality of things concerning God. God is a God of things due. He's a God uh, who walks in the pattern and principle of the duality of things. Even if you read from the beginning of the earth, you see man has a dual helper suitable, which is woman. You see in the garden, there were two trees. One was of the knowledge of good and evil, and then one was of the tree of life. We see that separation again. We see it in the two sons which are worshiping. We see one, the true worshiper, and the false worshiper. We see Cain and Abel, and we see how Cain kills Abel. It's the duality of things. We see that continuation in the line, the separation of Jacob and Esau, the separation of Ephraim and Manasseh, the separation of Isaac and Ishmael. We see that all coming through human history, God trying to separate that. And then we get into the dispensation of the New Testament. We see the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see Adam as the first Adam in Corinthians. We see Jesus as the second Adam. He is a God of duality. He's the God of duality. So he's a God that works in twos. But what are these twos? What is the essence of these twos? Why shall none lack a Of course, we use this scripture, for example, when we're praying for people who are not yet married and settled down. And yeah, we are allowed to use this portion of scripture to pray for people, to say, oh, you know, she's alone. She shall not lack a met, you know, or her husband shall not lack a wife. And that is all right, because again, we are claiming the duality of things concerning the blessing of God, but it is the way and the pattern of life. And so to know the principles of God, to interpret the way of this duality of things, the duality effect of things, it becomes bigger. You see that even when it gets into human life, we see that as the day and night. We see that as uh, the seed and harvest time. It just continues for as long as the earth remains at seed time, harvest, summer, winter, cold, heat. Sometimes it's like the opposite of things. But God works in dualities. God works in dualities. Why is it important for us to emphasize this? Remember, this portion of Scripture begins when God emphasizes that we should search in the book. We should search in the book. And much as he's showing how none of these beasts shall lack hermit, he's saying, get the deeper revelation of this mystery. Why is he telling them to search the books to prove it? Because it was a standard in the practice of the faith from the beginning of the earth ever since God started to speak. That there's a duality also in the law of beginnings that commands things to happen and the fulfillment of those things. He says, my mouth, it has spoken and my spirit hath gathered them. In other words, whatever the mouth of the Lord hath spoken is one side of that. The Spirit of the Lord shall fulfill surely. The Spirit of the Lord shall fulfill surely. And then he's telling them, look, go back and look into the books. Because he's a God of detail. He's a God of reference. He's a God of keeping detail. He's a God 
of keeping accounts of things. And that is why things are written. So the Bible says that these things were written afore for your learning that through comfort and patience you will obtain or have hope. When we are reading the things that are forewritten, do our eyes see the duality of things? Soon I want to teach us someone on how to see in the Word. Because some people read the Word, but their eyes are closed when they're reading the Word. And that is why when you read the Word with a closed eye, it means you're going to understand things on surface. You're going to be shallow in your understanding. And yet the knowledge of God is meant to break depth. Okay? That's the essence of the knowledge of God. To break depth. And what does that mean? It means that every other day, it's supposed to launch you deeper and deeper. He says, by my knowledge, the depths are broken up. And because of that, he says, the clouds drop down the dew. You see? Because of that depth, when the depths are broken, the clouds, the Bible says, drop down the dew. And if you go back to the children of Israel, dew fell, the Bible says, before manna fell. Okay? Before food was provided for the children of Israel, both evening and morning, the Bible says that dew fell before manna fell. And they ate, eat and called it manna, for they knew not what it was. In the New Testament, Jesus says, ah, that which you ate was not the bread from heaven. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, any man that eateth of me shall not hunger anymore. So if there is a falling of bread, there has to be a precedence of the falling of the dew. And there's something that breaks that dew. It's the depths that are broken because of the knowledge of God. If you're a reader, you've understood it. Child, amen. So, now we see God emphasizing to keep record of things. He's saying, read through the book. Go and search out the book. Go and search out the book. Because it's saying it's important for you to understand these things according to as I have spoken. In other words, the destiny of your enemy had already been spoken by God. And he's telling the children of Israel, go back through the things that I've spoken concerning the destiny of your enemy, and you will know that these things are bound to happen because I've already judged the destiny of all the things and the people that oppose you. Shout amen. So now, when he tells us read, he's also trying to interpret to us that there is a requirement of a certain discipline by the Spirit. Okay, I have always emphasized this once or twice, and I said, that you must live a disciplined life in God. And I'm talking about the disciplined life. It's more than just living a good, morally upright life. It's okay. It's a good thing. You're right to live morally upright. It's part of the discipline, but that's in the realm only of self-control of your flesh. But there are other things too in the spirit that require your self-control. There are certain things in the spirit that require your diligence. They require your temperance. They require your wisdom in application. They require for you to follow a particular order of these things. And one of the disciplines is to always make reference concerning the Word of God in every aspect and sphere of your life. That is why you're not a serious Christian. If you cannot quote five, six, seven, ten scriptures off your head, you have a problem, a big one. Unless you're just born again last week or two weeks or probably a month or two, you're trying to get around the things of the Spirit. That's understandable. But you have spent 20, 15 years, 30 years, and you cannot quote three or four or five scriptures off here. Ten scriptures off head. And this is a book that you're supposed not only to live in, but live by. You have a problem. You see? We are continuously giving ourselves wholly on these things, to these things, the Bible says. We are meditating on these things continuously. The Bible says because when you do that continuously, your profiting will appear to all. Now, when you study the word, the appearance, 
it means that it's not just the physical attributes that people see on your life to say, huh, okay, he reads the word or she reads the word. No. God implies that sort of an epiphany, a sort of divine experience, even in the most carnal, will come to them to confirm your affirmed place in the things of God. It will not just be what men can see with their physical eye. Even the most carnal man will be able to discern by the Spirit that there's something special about your life. And as you learn to understand how these things work, you'll realize that as you influence the spheres that you'll influence, which I will, in Scripture, will call the crown of glory, right? your spheres of influence in the spirit realm, you realize that your identity will become more and more clearer, even in the spirit realm. And why do you need that distinction? Because even if somebody repeated your sermon and somebody had never heard it, they would tell that this voice print, this frequency is of this person. This person must be borrowing from this person's ministry. If you're a musician or a worshiper, you'll be able to define a print that if anybody else tried it, anybody else dared to go your way, it would be clear. Not that it's wrong. Not that it's wrong to preach another man's sermon. Not that it's wrong to sing like somebody or do whatever you have to do if the imitation is godly and it is right. When Paul says, imitate me even as I imitate Christ. But when we're defining the imitations of Christ, there are things that qualify you in the spirit realm to allow you to draw the right trail, the right patterns of the spirit. The man says in the Bible that I became a pattern of them which should believe after. I became a pattern to them which should believe after. You know, there's certain trails we set in the spirit realm. And that's another degree of instruction because one thing to teach you and say, don't do this, do that, or don't do this. But it's another when our instructions leave particular trails because there's a guarantee not only of a certain glory, but a sustaining of certain things in the grace where we, the people who walk after us, walk into. You see, certain things will be easier for you, even though they could have been a bit complicated for me. They should be easier for you because you're walking trails that have already been dug. You're walking in roads that have already been paved. It's different. It has to be easier for you. If you're my spiritual son or daughter, if you're submitted to this ministry, that things that must be easier for you because you're connected to this thing and we've already dug these paths for you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. And that's the difference between them which teach you and them from whom you learn from. So Paul tells Timothy, knowing whom thou hast learned these things, I'm saying when you know that anybody can teach you, but when you get to the realm of learning from somebody, of patterning your life on somebody's life, you must know who and you must know how. Praise God, hallelujah. Praise God, hallelujah. So we get back to the scripture here. It says now, search the book or seek ye out of the book of the Lord. In other words, it was a discipline. I was emphasizing the space of discipline uh, to discipline yourself, to be a seeker in the word, to search the word, to know whether certain things are so, to find the opinion of God and stick to it as it has been given because he has said that my mouth, it has spoken it, my spirit, it shall fulfill it. So it was a way of practice for people to search out in Scripture. And that is why people wrote. That is why God instructed prophets and priests and men of God back in the day to keep certain manuscripts and records for people to refer back to because when you can read now what God spoke years ago, there's something that tells you about the way of God and the Spirit. In Isaiah, when he's instructing Isaiah, the 30th chapter, the 8th verse, he tells them, Now go, 
write this prophecy before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. Why is he saying write these things down? Because one day somebody will have to give reference and refer back to the event and time when God spoke it in history. And that in a way has a way of ministering to an individual. But number two, it opens the eyes of projecting and prospecting the future concerning where you are going as a generation, as an individual, as a ministry, as a person. And to know that is great wisdom. In Daniel, the ninth chapter, the second verse, when he sees that the children of Israel have been held in captivity longer than they should. He says, I, Daniel, understood by the books. He says he went to search out these books. The man of God, yeah, yeah, he had gone, but he went as well to search out these books, the number of years whereof the word of the Lord had come to Jeremiah, the prophet, and how this was supposed to be accomplished in the 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So he's saying, okay, the time frame of how I have read through the books of Jeremiah uh, does not coincide with the times that we're in. I feel that we've gone a bit farther and way longer than God had prophesied. What am I missing? And this is the thing that prompts Daniel to seek the face of God concerning the space of what are we missing. But he could only define that place and identify that note on the compass of the prophetic voice of God concerning their destiny based on the understanding of books. If Daniel did not have any understanding of the books, he would not have been prompted to go on his knees to seek God's mind concerning the destiny of Israel. And if he had not done that, then an angel would not appear to help give him understanding concerning the destiny of the children of Israel. That means there was going to be a frustration of a prophetic kind in the spirit realm in the time of Daniel because as a man of God, as the voice of that hour and the pillar God had set in that dispensation, there would have been a great problem if he had not connected to the books to read back, to find reference of understanding what God really meant. Although later we discover that it was not that they had taken longer than they should, Daniel had misinterpreted the understanding of those books. You see? Which is still okay. Because then there was a prompting of a conversation between him and the angelic to help him understand what actually God meant with a 70 in his way and math and understanding of things. And still again, it helps Daniel understand for Israel what they must do in the space of captivity. There cannot be true understanding if a man has no reference point in the spirit. And one of those reference points in the spirit is when we look back in the books and then look through the words that were spoken of God prophetically. And they, these words help us reconcile the times and the things that are needed for that hour. And because of that, we know what our people are supposed to do in the times when they're supposed to do them. The Bible speaks of the men and the army God had given David. And he says, one of the sons of Ishakar. The Bible says, which had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And the sons of Ishakar were seekers of books. They were not just endowed with the understanding of what to know. No, science times are deliberate. When you look back in what God has written and spoken through men, it's amazing just how many clues are available for us to predict and tell the future. And for that to even know that whatever has been predicted will not want its fulfillment. Whatever has been predicted will not need its fulfillment. Its fulfillment shall be available in the time when it has to be fulfilled. None shall want harm it. Again, in the duality of things. It only tells you that for sure, even in the time that we're living in now, something must have been spoken before. 
But it takes great wisdom for a seeker to read the books to know what was spoken. It's one thing to go and seek God on the mountain and pray, and that's okay. It's all uh, necessary and can avail you the wisdom and the glory and the giftings, the anointing and the space for you to operate in the time because you have availed yourself for the sake of the kingdom as a eunuch. But you will never be the accurate, efficient one and walk in the completeness of things if you do not know the things of old. He speaks of the scribe which has been instructed in the kingdom. And he says, and he's likened to a householder which out of that household treasures of things both new and old. Both new and old. You must be up to date in the things of the Spirit concerning what God is saying in that particular hour. But you also have to be attuned to the things that are old. It's important for you to carry reference concerning your history. That's why we don't break the ancient landmarks. We still go to certain parts and dig them and plow the old parts Therein, the Bible says, we inquire of the way of the Spirit. History has spoken so much, and that is why I have a passion for Christian history. I've taught it in Bible schools. I've taught it everywhere. I love it. I have almost a six-hour teaching on just church history, you know, as we know it. And there's more to that. Why? Because when you know where you come from, when you understand the history of things, it's amazing the completeness that you walk in as a minister. And if you're serious about ministry and your life, of salvation, then it's better you know where you come from. You understand your history. But it says that when a scribe is instructed in the kingdom, that person is like a man who is a householder, which bringeth forth both new and old things. You must carry ancient oil as you must carry the present wine. That's just the way of the spirit. Again, the duality of things. So now he says these words are spoken. They're all kept all through. Because one day these things shall be fulfilled. When Jesus comes in the existence of time, in John the 5th chapter, the 39th verse, he tells them, such ye the scriptures. He's arguing with these people. They don't see, they don't understand that he is the Messiah. Judaism cannot believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And he says, look, such the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. He says, but they are all which testify of me. If you read it from the Amplified Version, he says, seek and search and investigate. And he says, and pour over the scriptures diligently. Because you suppose and trust that you have eternal life through them. And these very scriptures, Jesus says, testify about me. In other words, everything we see in the life and story of the Christ if you look back with the right eye of precision, the true vision of the Spirit, you'll be able to tell step by step, precept upon precept, the way of the Spirit prophesying the coming of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, existent in the flesh and what he must do. But that's not all. From the beginning of the world, if you know how to search, to the end of the world, the things that we have written are enough to incorporate anybody that plugs to this mystery and way of life. So some of you think it ends in just the demystification of the Christ. Uh-uh, it goes deeper. It includes the Jameses, the Peters, the Johns, the Matthews, the Lukes of their time. And you might read just their letters, but more than that, if you search the scripture, they are also spoken of somewhere in the word. When they come to exist, they're simply a fulfillment of what was already spoken. 
Oh, so you read the Bible. Oh, in the last days, knowledge shall be increased. But some of you, when you read that scripture, you separate yourself from the increase of knowledge as though when that knowledge comes, it's going to go through a telephone or a mobile phone or a computer. No, it's going to come out of human beings. He says, he that believeth on me, the Bible says, out of him shall flow rivers of living water. That's an endless stream of flow that cannot be intercepted or interrupted. It continues to come out of you. He says, the path of the just shine brighter and brighter. The longer they live, the brighter they shine. When these words are spoken, do you separate yourself from the holistic and generic prophetic word concerning your destiny? Because if you do, then you frustrate the law of the duality of things. If he has surely spoken these words, then there is a force and power intending for their fulfillment. They shall not want in their fulfillment the duality of things. And that is why the Bible says in Matthew 5, 18, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, till heaven... And that pass away. He says, one jot or one title shall in no wise pass from the law till it all be fulfilled. Everything spoken by the word of God will not be taken away until it is fulfilled. That's the duality of things. That's the way of the spirit. He has not sent a word that shall not be fulfilled. He has not given any prophetic utterance that will lack its metal fulfillment. They have to be fulfilled as God has spoken. God's word is true. God's word is true. The only challenge is that when we are seeking the reconciliation of the things of the spirit, many times we isolate ourselves from the working of that law in our lives as of to think that we are allowed to only claim it but would understand if that word does not work in our lives but will work in other people's lives. So even people were struggling to believe the Bible. They're struggling to believe the Bible. They're struggling to believe the word of God. And it's okay if they're not born again, but those which are born again, they isolate, disqualify themselves from such a great reality in Christ Jesus. Let me show you something, and from then on, I don't think that you'll ever think that way. In 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, the second verse, Paul catches this mystery. And he says, ye are our epistle. You are a written epistle in our hearts. And he says, known and read by all men. You are, now he introduces the believer. I don't know that you know where I'm going now. He says, ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. What do you mean by of all men? I'm in Uganda. Does a man in the Philippines read me? What do you mean by all men? I live in Kampala. Does a man in Europe read me? And he says, it's possible. It's possible. And he says, you are it. You just don't know how it works. Or you just don't know how to churn your spirit in this law enough to elevate you in the space where you'll catch men across the world. It is possible. But before you even force yourself into that or act out the patterns to, you know, invite you into that realm physically, God says you already belong there spiritually. I wish somebody got this. I just wish somebody gets this. In other words, you were born a star. You were born to be read. You were born to be interpreted. 
You were born to be demystified as they are demystifying the mystery of Christ. You were born as a success to carry attention for the world. Oh, but you mean all of us who believe? Yes, all of us who believe. God has enough grace. He has enough power. He has enough ability to make all of us distinctively read in the whole world. And there will still be space for more. Glory to God. And he says, ye are an epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. And verses 3 says, for as much as ye are, listen, manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ. And he says, you are ministered by us. Oh, 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 you are ministered by us. You're not just, you know, the written epistle. But when we preach, every time we open the Bible, you are in the words we speak. Oh, hallelujah, glory to God. Like the Christ was in the words spoken. So when the Bible speaks and they shall come and they shall be an army and they shall all march in their own ranks and none shall break their ranks when he's prophesying in Joel. Do you see yourself in there? Because if you don't, you're frustrating the law of the duality of things. When they speak of how they shall run all like mighty men and how they shall climb walls like men of war and how they shall march everyone in their own ranks. Do you see yourself in that mystery or do you disqualify yourself to look for us who are in? In it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So he says, we are teaching, we are preaching you. You're not written by ink, he says. You are written by the spirit of the living God. And you're not in tables of stone as of what was kept in the ark of the covenant. He says, but in fleshly tables of the heart. That means you are writing in the spirit. You are an analogy, you are a story. You are a mystery. You are something you're written about somewhere. So when you read the Bible, do you say, oh, and then Paul says, and now we behold, like he in a mirror, the glory of God. And he says, and we are changed. We are metamorphosed in the same image from glory to glory. Why do we behold like in a mirror? Because every time we see in a mirror, there has to be a duality effect in this. I am here and I'm before the mirror. There has to be a face in that mirror and there has to be a substance and figure for the reflection of the face in the mirror. There has to be a two way. Somebody shout hallelujah. So he says, you are a written epistle. We preach you. Oh, let me read it for you in the message version. He says, you yourselves are all the endorsement that we need. And he says, and your very lives are a letter that everyone can read by just looking at you. Oh, <laughs> glory to God. He says, God has elevated to a point where if people want to know Jesus, they just look at you. If people want to know health, they just look at you. If people want to understand divine wealth, they have to look at you. If people want to understand intelligence, they look at you. If people want to understand wisdom, they look at you. If people want to understand prosperity, they look at you. If people want to understand wealth, they look at you. If people want to understand faith, they look at you. If people want to understand power, I'm not just talking about electricity, no. I'm talking about dynamis, the very power and very form which is of the life of God. He says, they look at you. He says, you are a letter. He says, anyone can read by just looking at you. Anyone can read by just looking at you. And the next line says, Christ himself wrote it. <laughs> Christ himself wrote it. Not with ink, but with God's living spirit. Not chiseled into stone, but carved into human lives. And he says, and because of that, Paul says, we publish it. What do we publish? Your life. 
which is not chiseled in stone, but chiseled by the living spirit of God. Remember, my mouth hath spoken it and my spirit each shall fulfill it. Now he's saying when he got your life, he realized he could not just put it on tablets of stone. Uh -uh. He went into the working of the Holy Spirit, the fulfiller of what the mouth of God has spoken. And therein he placed your life, your destiny and your story. And now when he says that now the spirit of God is the guarantee of things which are freely given unto you in Christ, it is because when we look at you, you're chiseled, you're in there, you are hewn in there, you're connected in there, your life is built in there, your story is built in there. Where the Holy Ghost is, I am. What the Holy Ghost can do, I can do. Because he's sealed with me until the day of redemption. So when we're talking about the presence of God is here. Let's not forget also in the duality of things, you're also there. Hallelujah, praise God. Hallelujah, praise God. Hallelujah, praise God. And so we see that when Paul looks at the believer, he sees somebody that not could be, not will be, not might be, but should be and must be read. You must be read. That is why I tell people, Fanero must be known by the whole world. I said, the moment we have a fellowship in every nation in the world, then we have started preaching. Do you know where I get this confidence from? It is this epistle. This epistle. The written one, not of ink, but of the spirit. But of the spirit. But you see, because we have learned how to evoke the power of manifestation, then that principle, that mystery is demystified. That's why it says you're manifestedly declared. The world must know you. I say the world must know you. The universe must sing your name. The stones must rise at your testimony. The world and the seas of this world must be able to identify and say that that is Grace Rubega. You can put your name where I've put mine. The nations of this world must hear you. The televisions of this world must hear you. The radios of this world must hear you. The internet of this world must hear you. The data collected must collect you. Everything must come to you. Why? Because you are in Christ and Christ is in God. So he says, and I pray that they in me, I in you, will be one and that the world will know, the world will believe, the world will come to terms that you have sent me. You have loved them even as you have loved me. The world can only believe that God exists, Jesus exists because of the church, the duality of things. The church could not lack its met. Then Jesus now comes as a groom, and the church is the bride. And he gives seed, all right? The word, Luke 8, 11, and the, the parable is that the seed is the word of God. And so when he gives us that word, which is the seed, he impregnates us with possibility. He impregnates us with potential. He impregnates us with strength. He impregnates us with vision. He impregnates us with purpose. He impregnates us with assignment. He impregnates us with understanding. He impregnates us with revelation. He impregnates us with authority. He impregnates us with glory. He impregnates us with power. He impregnates us with vision. He impregnates us with everything which is in Christ. Hallelujah, glory to God. And because of that then, you are born to a purpose. You are born into a vision. You are born into some sort of thing. You cannot be an average man. You cannot even pray a certain way. That's why I don't understand Christians who go in the presence of God and say, you know God, I'm useless. I'm nothing. I'm foolish. I'm a rag. You don't know who you are. 
Philemon 1.6 says the communication of your faith can only become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you, which is in Christ. And sometimes I go in front of that mirror and I'm alone and I look aside left, right, and I make sure nobody's watching me. And I look at myself straight in the mirror and I say, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are anointed by God, Grace Lovega. You're going nations in the mighty name of Jesus. The lamb will walk by just looking at you. The blind will see by just looking at you. A woman gave me a testimony. I shook her hand and a cyst disappeared recently. Just shaking. Hello, how are you? Praise God. And says, a cyst disappeared just by you shaking your hand with me oh my god he says what eye has not seen what has not entered the hearts of men what ear has not had he said he has prepared for them that he loved him and he says and he has revealed it unto us by his word the spirit of god the very spirit in which you are written of story glory to god that is why i love the holy spirit that is why I separate myself. I love that solitude just to be one with the person of the Holy Spirit. Because as I do, he reminds me. He connects me. He establishes me. He increases the encouragements and understanding of the things that I must connect to in him. Because everything that I see in him is mine for an inheritance. And it must work in my life. Again, I say, you can never be normal. You can never live predictable lives. Even if the world wants it all it wants. Whether you went to school or you didn't go to school. Whether you have a network or you don't have a network. Whether you're connected to those who speak English or don't. Whether you are born in a valley or a desert. Whether you are born on a mountain or in a village. Whether you're born in a skyscraper or in a thicket. It does not matter. God has promised concerning your lives. He says, I know the plans that I have towards you. Plans to make you prosper, not to harm you. To give you a future hope that expected end where is that expectation he spoke concerning your destiny he says they shall be above and not beneath they shall be the heads and not the tail upward they shall only watch he says I shall undergird it he says no weapon that is formed against them shall prosper he was talking about you and every mouth that turns against you in judgment it shall be held in condemnation and he says this is the posterity the destiny of my people and my righteousness is of them he says you shall run and not grow weary all of these things that are spoken all the promises in him are yeah and amen to the glory of the father because the duality of these things requires that you reconcile yourself to the end of the fulfillment of everything God has spoken concerning your life and the destiny of humankind I'm a part of that story I said I'm a part of that story can you say I'm a part of that story? I'm a part of men which overcome. Say it. I'm a part of men which are mighty. Say it. I'm a part of those ones which are wise. Say it. I'm a part of those who are influential. I'm a part of those with affluence. I'm a part of those with vocabulary. I'm a part of those with understanding. I'm a part of those with victory. I'm a part of those with prayer that works. I'm a part of those that wait on God and sown wings like eagles. I'm a part of those who grow old well and even in our old age I shall be youthful. I shall still produce fruit even in my old age. I shall bring forth and my leaves shall not wither because I'm planted in the house of the Lord. I'm a part of those sheep that he's a shepherd of. I walk in the valley of dry bones. I walk in the valley and in the shadow of death and none of those things shall any means touch me. I'm a part of those with whom he prepares tables to stand in the midst of your enemies. I'm a part of that story of those unto whom he opens his eyes and pours oil and an anointing until it overflows in the presence of my enemies. I'm a part of those who surely good and mercy follows to the end of their lives. I'm a part of that story. I'm a part of that breed.
He says you're a chosen generation. A peculiar people. That you should show forth. Not might. Not could. Not may. He says that you should show forth. The praises of him. Who has called you out of darkness. Into his marvelous light. I must show forth. I must show forth. I must manifest the goodness of God. I must manifest the power of God. I must manifest the anointing of God. I must manifest the understandings of God. I must manifest it all. As it is written in scripture. It's the duality of things. It's six fulfillment I am the other met I am the other met so he says you see when we minister we minister you you're not written by ink but written by Christ himself the living God not on tablets of stone he says but in fleshly tables of the heart and when Paul saw it in the next verse he says and such trust have we through Christ to God? That's the only trust we have toward God in Christ. Because when we read the word, we see ourselves in it. And in the next line, it says, And the sufficiency is not of us as of to think anything of ourselves. Why? Because we were spoken about before we came. And we must fulfill that which he sent us to be, he says, to this cause came I, to this end did I appear, was I manifested into the world. You see, and he says, not that we are sufficient. So we know it's not in our sufficiency to think of anything as of us. But he says, but the sufficiency, our sufficiency, is of God, who hath also made us, now listen to this, able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Now you understand why we preach the grace message? Why we don't preach the letter? But number two, he has given us the ability to minister. So when I talk about healing, I have the ability to heal. Talking about the raising of the dead, I have the ability to raise a dead man. Talking about wealth, I have the ability to make a man wealthy. Talking about peace, I have the ability to give peace in the man. Talking about victory, I have the ability to command a blessing, to give victory in a man's life. I have that ability, not in my sufficiency. So if it's not in my sufficiency, then I understand what it means to be carried by grace. I understand what it means to be carried by grace. I understand it. And that's why I lean. So he says, we which have believed have entered into rest. He's not talking about a passive abandonment of our responsibilities in the spirit. No. He's talking about the confident assurance that as we walk, he gives us both the power to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And when you're carried in that kind of rest, you'll start seeing things happening around you faster than you can count them. I said faster than you can count them. Faster than you can count them. That is the epistle. And so when God was giving judgment, in the time when he was judging the enemies of Israel, in Isaiah 34, that's why I see the 17th verse, he says he has cast their lot for them. I mean the enemies of Israel. In other words, he has defined their land and space of habitation and where they would live because scripturally we understand that lands are apportioned according to lots. So if you understand the principle of lots in the spirit realm, you will never struggle to buy land or have land or afford land 
And again, I say that because I don't think that any child of God in this world was created without a place of habitation in the physical realm. I'm saying you'll not die renting. I am saying your ministry will not lack a place to put that ministry. Understand how the lots are cast. And so after judging them, again as it is expected because of the foreknowledge of the word speaking, we see in the 35th chapter, we see the wilderness just a continuation on the side of the victors, the children of God, you and I, which are spoken of. He says the wilderness and the solitary places become glad for us. And the desert rejoices and blossoms as the roses. And it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. And the glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellence of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellence of the Lord. Now listen. He said the desert will blossom. I'm talking about the power of succeeding where men can't. I'm talking about the power of building where men can't build. Of standing where men can't stand. Of treading where no man can tread. Of where it's so impossible to do it. That's where you begin from to do it. I'm talking about that power of pioneering. The pioneering spirit. And it is said and should be said that he was the first of that kind. She was the first of that kind. We had never seen anything. Listen. What is happening in Fanero has never been seen in this land. And I'm not boasting. I'm telling you the truth. Read. <laughs> just read. Yet it's just the beginning. I said it's just the beginning. We were the first minister on TBN. We were the first minister on faith. Well, I mean, man, God has done things. And that's just the beginning. The whole world is going to hear us. Now, write your story as well. <laughs> Glory to God. Write your story as well. And don't be limited by anything. You can start now and speak. And as you're speaking, God hastens to fulfill. Because it shall not lurk. It's made. I want to pray with you. Changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words impart. But what are they imparting? Fulfillment. Words of hope. Words of life. They give us strength. Oh, they help us call. In this world where we roam, ancient words will guide us home. Ancient words, ever true, changing me. Come on, speak another tongues. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words in the ancient words ever true. 
Come on, receive it all. Receive it all. You will not lack the mental fulfillment. You will have the fulfillment of every word God spoke on your life, of every word God spoke on your family, of every word God spoke on your children, of every word God spoke on your health, of every word God spoke on your victories, of every word God spoke on your wisdom, of every word God spoke on your relatives, of every word God spoke on your business, of every word God spoke on your career, of every word God spoke on your ministry, of every word God spoke on your dreams, on every word God spoke on your aspiration, of every word God spoke on your destiny, of every word God spoke on your understanding, of every word God spoke on your precision, of every word God spoke concerning your diligence, of every word God spoke concerning your days, of every word God spoke concerning your times, of every word God spoke concerning your season. Bring forth in the name of Jesus, carry the conception of this thing. I come to you as a midwife and I tell you this is the time for you to bring that thing that God blessed in your life. I decree and I declare that the world will see and give glory to your God. You're more than a conqueror by Christ which strengthens you. Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph and he maketh manifest the Sabbath of his knowledge by us in every place and the world will know our God because of our prayer, because of our faith, because of our understanding, because of our consecrations, because of our consummations as we grow, as we increase, as we testify in the name of Jesus. Great things are working for you. The lines have fallen unto you in pleasant places and you have a goodly heritage. Your path drops with goodness. You're blessed in your generation and generations to come. They shall call you blessed. Oh, love. Oh, single barren woman. For the children of the barren have become more than the woman which brought forth children. I decree and I declare that in Isaac your seed shall laugh. Your days are good. Your testimony is preserved. The lines have fallen for you, I said. Great things are waiting for you. The lots are on your side, not against you. Your dwelling shall be good in the name of Jesus. If you're sick in your body, heal. Receive your healing because he said, by my stripes ye were healed. Your finances are healing. Your ministry is rebuilt. Your marriage is restored. Your children are well. In the mighty name of Jesus, give the Lord a mighty clap of praise and a shout. Just clap your hands and tell God, it is mine, it is mine, it is mine, it is mine, it is mine. I receive it, I receive it, I receive it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. If you've never given your life to Christ, you say, oh, I want that which you said. Well, now is the time. You don't need cameras watching. You don't need a special day. I don't know why you're tuned in today. And and I can't tell what's going to happen tomorrow, next week. But I can tell that good befalls you this day because you receive the Lordship of Jesus. He died for your sins, most importantly, that you might have eternal life. 
these words that we're reading are eternal life. And you can only receive them by confessing his lordship. If you're there, you want to pray with me, say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you shed your blood for me and was raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest. Thank you.